We're going to be reading Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 through 13. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. This is God's word. Thank you, Kristen. And uh, good morning, church. Um, I was going to say it's good to see you, but I can't see you. But um, I guess the truth is we truly miss you. We miss gathering and being together. And at this point in time, we don't know when we're going to be able to meet in this building again. But as we've been saying from the beginning, uh, the church, our bond, our connection is so much deeper than physical presence. Of course, that is part of it. That's something that we desire to meet together face to face. But our bond is one by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus. And I would say if you are feeling disconnected this morning, if the Lord is bringing someone to mind, even as I'm saying this, reach out, uh, connect with your brothers and sisters, get on the phone, get on Zoom, FaceTime, and connect with one another, check in on one another. Um, before we get into our study this morning, uh, maybe some of you saw, but we put out a little announcement uh, this week about some changes that are going on in our leadership and particularly in our eldership. So uh, we have finished putting together our elder document, just kind of what an elder is to be at Refuge, and we have um, instituted two-year terms for our lay elders. And so because of that, and also because um, God is changing and shifting things for Max Bretsky and his family, Max has actually decided that this is the season where he is going to step away from being an elder at Refuge, and God is opening up that opportunity for him and Jordan to open up a brick and mortar in downtown Santa Rosa. So we are super excited for the things that the Lord is doing with the Bretskys and with the Freunds uh, in their lives. And so pray for them, support them. We're excited to see uh, how God is going to use this new opportunity for them. And then also at the same time, we have asked Brent Garrison to join our elder team for uh, a few years now, Brent has just been serving so faithfully in our church. He's just faithful in all that he does. And you guys have seen him doing the financial updates and just his concern for the body here, his gift to exhort us with grace and with truth. And so we've asked Brent to be part of the elder team, and he has agreed. And so when we are finally back together, we'll do uh, a um, a commencement ceremony. Is that what I'm trying to say? I can't remember. But yeah, we'll, we will... Um, commission ceremony is what I'm trying to say. We will commission Brent and we'll be able to pray over him and he'll be able to just share his heart with refuge. So uh, those are just some changes that are going on. We just ask you to be praying for us as leaders and also just as this climate is ever changing, just that you would show grace to us and grace to one another as we're trying to navigate when we'll be back together and what that will look like. So without further ado, let's get into our teaching. So we're in the middle of a series, or I guess at the end of a series, we're calling essential church. And at such a strange time with so many changes and the inability to predict the end of this pandemic, it seemed wise for us to look at the early church and consider the essentials of their life together. Currently, the church and the rest of the world are experiencing a reset or a reboot. And 
I truly believe if we, the church, lean into this moment, God will bring about renewal. God will bring good, rich, deep character forming things out of this moment. We will come out of the other side of this more vibrant and more fruitful than we were before. We're calling the series Essential Church because we believe the way forward is actually to go backwards. It takes us looking back at what was essential to the early church. They had so many changes that happened within just those first couple years and the size of their uh, community, changes because of persecution, changes because of the movement of the Holy Spirit. And they were able to adapt to these things and they were able to be fruitful because they kept Jesus at the center of their community. They kept his story, they kept his life, they kept his sacrifice, and they kept this connection of praying with the Father and with Jesus and being on mission. They kept this at the center of their community, and so they were able to be fruitful. And so we believe by going back and examining those four things, this will help us really boil down what is God calling us to do as individuals? What is God calling us to do as a community so that we can adapt to this ever-changing climate and continue to be fruitful? By practicing that liturgy of Acts 2, 42 through 47, and centering our lives on the essentials of the church, we will be able to adapt, we'll be able to be flexible, we'll be able to be fruitful in the midst of constant changes. And so we've been looking at these dynamics for the last couple of weeks, and if you were able to join us last week, we considered how the church habitually observed and practiced the observance of the breaking of bread or the Jesus meal, that they put the sacrificial death of Jesus at the center of this community and therefore they were a sacrificial giving and forgiving community. And we looked at what that might look like for our lives, what that might look like as we seek to be witnesses of the kingdom of God in this community. Now, Finally, we come to the last piece of the early church's liturgy, and that is the prayers or the Jesus prayer. We know that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. You can find that in Luke 10 and also in Matthew 6. It's 6. It's the Lord's Prayer. But let's just talk for a minute about prayer because the early church was a praying community. Now, prayer, of course, is simply talking to God. It's as basic as that. It can be praise. It can be just being in awe or adoration. It can be thanksgiving. It can also be confession, like we did earlier. Uh, it can be petition. We are making requests to God. We are interceding for someone else or for a situation. There are many ways in which we can pray, but as I said, its most basic form is simply talking with God. And of course, we as humans, we overcomplicate these things. We put... Um, religious language on, clunky religious language on these things, and we can make it so awkward, but it's simply that we just share what's in us and in our hearts to our Father in heaven. Uh, one author defines prayer this way. He says, prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. And I love that because it shows the growth of that relationship. The desire is, of course, not just to talk to God, um, but to know God, to know ourselves in light of who God is and what he's done, and to have a full encounter with him. The idea is that God has spoken in his word, and we respond in conversation through prayer. Again, the purpose of prayer is to know God 
to be conformed more to his will and his image. And in prayer, and I think we all know this, but sometimes it's just good to remind ourselves, in prayer, we're not seeking to get our will done. We're seeking God's will to be done. We're seeking God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We're not trying to change God's mind. We're trying to understand God's mind. We're trying to understand how God is at work in the world and how we can join him in that work. Now, in Acts 2, Luke tells us that the early church was devoted to the prayers. Prayer uh, was something, it was a habit of the early church. It was something that they observed daily, and it became a mark of their lives personally and corporately. Now, obviously, they believed in the effectual power of prayer. We'll talk about this in a moment, just what the church prayed for. Prayer for them, it wasn't a last resort. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, we should pray as well. But prayer was, it was like the first thing they went to. It was a necessity and a priority for the early church. They prayed proactively. I feel like sometimes in my life, I'm, I'm praying as a reaction to what's going on rather than praying actively to participate in what God is doing, right? So they prayed proactively. God was on the move and they wanted to join him in his mission to the world. I think it's important to remember that these first Christians were Jews. They prayed and were familiar with prayer. It was a part of their culture and it was a part of their individual rhythms from their youth. So it's really interesting that Luke would note that prayer was an essential part of the community. It's kind of like a no-duh note uh, at first read. Like, why would, why would Luke highlight that? They're Jews, of course they would pray. But possibly Luke did this because, right, this is coming right off of the story about Pentecost. And remember what happened at Pentecost. That's actually this Sunday. That's what we're celebrating, Pentecost Sunday. What happened at Pentecost is that Jesus ascended to the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit. And when Paul talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans, he says it's the love of God being poured out into our hearts. That's, what the, that's the work that happened there, and that's the work that we have experienced as Christians. God's love being something that we are experiencing, something that we are knowing personally, that we are dearly loved by God. God is not just abstract and far off. He isn't just almighty God, but he is Father in heaven who knows the hairs of our head, who stores our tears in a bottle, who walks with us, who cares for us. That's how this church this, or this group of people began to know God on that day. And so, of course, they were praying. They were praying because they had experienced God in a whole new way. They had an instinctual desire to talk to their father, to call on him, to praise him, to thank him, to know him, and to draw near to him. But I would also say, because the Old Testament talked about how the Holy Spirit was a sign of the last days and God ushering his, in his kingdom, the church had a renewed faith and hope in prayer because they were witnesses of the power of God, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension and the pouring out of the, of the Holy Spirit. God, who had promised so long ago to break into the world and heal it and restore it, had finally begun to do so through the work of Jesus. This community was lit on fire 
Like what's next? What is God going to do next? How are we going to see God's kingdom triumph and move out to the ends of the earth and claim individuals as his kingdom citizens, as sons and daughters of his kingdom? So the church was praying again to be fellow workers and co-laborers with God in his kingdom work. The church was praying, like we read, for that kingdom to come, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, in a whole new way, really. So I I mentioned a moment ago, the church prayed proactively. What did they pray about? The early church literally prayed about everything. You can find this in the book of Acts and, of course, in the epistles as well. But just right out the gate, they prayed about appointing new leaders, That's in Acts 1. They prayed about healing and deliverance from unclean spirits. That's found all throughout the book of Acts. They prayed for boldness to speak the gospel of God, the good news of God. Again, found all throughout the book of Acts. They prayed for healing. They prayed for signs. They prayed for wonders, for God's presence to be known in the church and in the surrounding community. They prayed for forgiveness of their persecutors. You think about Stephen, the first martyr. What did he do? God, do not charge this to their account. He's praying for those who are stoning him to death. The church prayed for the dead to be raised. Later on, we have James writing to the church, and he told them to pray for one another that they may be healed from physical illness. Paul told Timothy to teach the church to pray for all people, to pray for government and leaders. I'll read it because this one I think is probably important at this time. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority in order that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. The church also prayed for Jesus's return. Remember Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians, he says this one word, it's Aramaic, Maranatha, and it simply means, Lord, hasten. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The church prayed that the kingdom would come that God would wrap up this story and usher in his kingdom. Truly, the church prayed for anything and everything that concerned the establishment and furtherance of the kingdom of God. So the question then is, what does a liturgy of prayer look like for our lives and for our community? For a few weeks, I've been defining liturgy as bridge building a work or task done by an individual for the benefit of the broader community. Liturgy, if you remember, is a work done by me. I'm responsible to play my part, but liturgy isn't about me, it's about us. It's about our collective benefit and good. And you could probably already see how prayer by necessity is liturgical work. We as individuals must engage in prayer, in faith, in consistency, and also in fervency. You see, a praying church requires individuals who pray. 
A church can't be devoted to prayer if individuals are not devoted to prayer. We can't be active in prayer and say, oh, this is a core belief of our church. If individuals in our body are not actively praying or not setting aside time to pray. If our focus and priorities, I would say, are then being set by social media and 24-7 news cycles, guess what? That is going to set the agenda for our lives and not the kingdom of God. I've noticed for myself, I am falling back into old habits. And something that I've had to do is I've had to put my phone away at night and in the morning, so I'm, my phone is not the last thing I'm touching because I'm so tempted to read the news. I'm so tempted to look at social media and see what other people are doing, what other people are saying, especially in this like highly politicized climate that we're in right now. And it can set the tone for my evening. It can set the tone for my day. And then I am reacting to these things rather than proactively seeking the kingdom of God. I'm putting my phone away and I have begun each day with prayer. God, help me to seek your kingdom. Help me to know you. Help me to love and serve my family. God, bring me into what you're doing. The need to do this now might be greater than ever. Sadly, we're seeing the church at this moment caught up in so much distraction, being sucked into all the conspiracies surrounding this pandemic. I've heard conversations, people talking of the mark of the beast again, the end times, WHO being part of a one world order, and the list goes on. Let me just quote from John Tyson for a moment. I loved what he said. Listen to this. This is, what it, this is what's really going on. The real conspiracy is satanic, and its goal is to get you to focus on global meta-whatevers that you can do almost nothing about and neglect the praise of prayer, the word, and sacrificial love of neighbor. Listen, even if the, the end of the world were here, Jesus' exhortation to his people when he spoke of these things was, stay awake. That's what he said. Stay awake, be alert. Be faithful, he says in Matthew. Steward over the responsibility that God has given to you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Focus on those things. Our calling is to watch and pray and to be found faithful when the master returns. Our calling is not to get sucked into the fear and political positioning and conspiracies. Church, watch and pray. If we don't watch and pray, if we neglect prayer and the word and love of neighbor, what then? Right? If the salt is no longer salty, what good is it except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men? If we put a basket over the lamp, how will the light shine? Our job in a confusing time like this where there's all of these theories about what's going on in the world is to watch and is to pray, is to seek, God, what are you doing behind the scenes and how can we be a part of that church? Watch and pray. God has called us, his church, his kingdom citizens here on earth to intercede for the world. That is our privilege. We get to co-labor with God. We get to be those who would stand in between the God of redemption and a lost and dying world. We get to be 
priests like Jesus. We get to intercede for the pain and suffering of the world. We're not a people for our own sake, but we're a people for the sake of the world. Just like Israel was chosen in order to be a light unto the nations and a kingdom of priests, so the church is called to be the people of God to and for the world. And it's because we are ambassadors and image bearers charged with caring for and stewarding over the world, the creation, that we bring to God the concerns of creation, that we pray for each other, that we pray for the church, and that we pray for the world at large. Just like the early church, we should be praying for anything and everything that concerns the establishment and furtherance of the kingdom of God. Should be praying for one another, praying for those outside of our community, praying for our neighbors, praying for municipal and government leaders, praying for the poor and for those in prison, praying for those suffering persecution, exploitation, praying for those suffering through this pandemic, praying for comfort for those who are dying alone. Holy Spirit, be in the room with these people. Their families can't be there. God, would you be present? Would you draw these people to yourself? Lord, would they receive your salvation? Are we praying to that end? We should be praying against the effects of natural disasters. We should be praying even for our enemies and oppressors. See, in intercessory prayer, which the church is called to, we pray for the needs of the world. We pray for healing from illness and disease, for protection from abuse, for the end of environmental exploitation, right? We're stewards of the creation. We pray for the eradication of slavery. We pray for the end of racism. We pray for an end to war to genocide and violence. Any area where we see evidence of the curse of sin, we pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives, in our church, in this city, in this world as it is in heaven. Church, what if we determine to make prayer part of our liturgy? Again, to do that, it takes us as individuals praying. It takes devotion from our lives. It takes carving out time in our schedule to say, I'm going to learn to pray. I'm going to cultivate this intimacy with God and this time alone with the Father. What if we determined to be a church that prays together, that prays for one another, not seldomly, but often? Even that our Sunday gatherings, that it's we're not just like, oh, okay, we did a corporate prayer, but as we break, as we fellowship, that as we're sharing what's going on in our lives, that we finish those, we, we cap those conversations with prayer. You know, many times we're sharing what's going on in our lives, and maybe we're speaking into that, we're sharing our wisdom or our perspective. Why, why on earth would we not invite the Holy Spirit into that and say, hey, Lord, the scripture says a man or a woman plans their way but the direction is from the Lord. We pray, Lord, as we've talked and we've had ideas about what should be done in this difficult and confusing situation, we ultimately pray for your will to be done. We pray for your wisdom to lead and guide the situation. Church, let's be, let, let's be a community that prays. Let's be a community that invites the Holy Spirit into our life and asks to be invited into the work of the Holy Spirit. In our Sunday gatherings, in our midweek lunches and coffees, in our meetup groups, that they would be marked by prayer, that we would be bringing all of these things in light of God's kingdom. 
What might we see God do in us? His presence in our life. What might we see God do in our city and all around us if we devoted ourselves, if we determined to pray, to bring our lives in line with the kingdom work of God, to ask for his power and his presence and his wisdom to inform our lives. If prayer is essentially about getting ourselves into the will and purpose of God, if it really is about seeing the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, as we pray, we will be able to be flexible and fruitful in whatever life with all of its ups and downs throws at us. So in closing, I truly believe that we're in the middle of a shaking. You know, when you step back and think about this, when was the last time that something happened that affected the whole known world? We're seeing a shaking of all nations. We're seeing the effects of the global economy. And I would say, behind the scenes, God is at work in the world. We don't know necessarily what's happening, but we know that we are living in God's world. And we know that the idols and the systems that people set up that are opposed to God, that don't surrender and honor God, that those come crashing to the ground, they will fall and they will fail because they are not in line with the kingdom of God. And so church, we should watch and pray. We should watch and pray. God is at work in the world and our posture needs to be one of prayer. So God, in closing, what are you doing? How can we join you in that work? Lord, help us hold lightly to the past. Help us to have open arms to what you're bringing us into. Lord, we don't want to be guilty of seeking our comfort over your kingdom and your glory. And so help us be flexible in the midst of uncertainty. Cause us to be fruitful even in seasons of drought and trouble. And Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and in this city as it is in heaven. And now churches, we just spend this time worshiping, responding to the word. I just invite you to pray that in. And I invite you just to take this time just to ask the Lord that he would work with you, that you would work with him to cultivate a life of prayer, that you would begin to even cultivate this in your homes. And this would be a staple, this would be a mark of your life, that this would be a mark of this community. So let's worship the Lord together as we close.